Welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, the podcast that brings you through the entire Bible in 260 days. Have you ever wanted to read the whole Bible but struggled to do so? This podcast is meant to help you do it. With five 15 to 20 minute episodes per week, you will hear the entire Bible read to you. There will also be occasional brief notes to help explain context, as well as a concluding question or thought to consider. So welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, your journey through the Bible in 260 days. Welcome to episode 240. Today, as we continue the book of Esther and the book of Revelation, we'll notice that uh, both are speaking a lot to people who are going through hard and difficult times, persecution. And this has been the case for people who have been trusting in God throughout their history and throughout the last 2,000 years after Jesus has come. That Jesus warned that there would be persecutions, there would be struggles, there would be things that you would face if you're a Christian, and people around this world to this day are persecuted for their faith. And how do you face that persecution? What do you do when you are faced with these hard things? Well, the book of Esther begins to show us how we can trust God, and the book of Revelation that we'll begin reading today, chapter 2, will give examples of how Jesus actually speaks to the churches and says how they are to continue to be faithful, even in the midst of hard and difficult things. And so, wherever you're coming from, whether you're in a part of the world listening right now where you are persecuted actively, or you're in a part of the world that is not, that this passage would actually speak to our hearts no matter who we are, and show us how God does protect his people and does work in ways that often we don't understand or see, but we can trust him, and it'll tell us why. So, how do you face persecution? Let's read these passages and see. Beginning today in Esther chapter 4. Now, when Mordecai became aware of all that had been done, he tore his garments and put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the city, crying out in a loud and bitter voice. But he went no farther than the king's gate, for no one was permitted to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Throughout each of it in every province where the king's edict and law were announced, there was considerable mourning among the Jews, along with fasting, weeping, and sorrow. Sackcloth and ashes were characteristic of many. When Esther's female attendants and her eunuchs came and informed her about Mordecai's behavior, the queen was overcome with anguish. Although she sent garments for Mordecai to put on so that he could remove his sackcloth, he would not accept them. So Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been placed at her service, and instructed him to find out the cause and reason for Mordecai's behavior. So Hathak went to Mordecai at the plaza of the city in front of the king's gate. Then Mordecai related to him everything that had happened to him, even the specific amount of money that Haman had offered to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to be destroyed. He also gave him a written copy of the law that had been disseminated in Susa for their dis destruction so that he could show it to Esther and talk to her about it. He also gave instructions that she should go to the king to implore him and petition him on behalf of her people. So Hathak returned and related Mordecai's instructions to Esther. Then Esther replied to Hathak with instructions for Mordecai, saying, All the servants of the king and the people of the king's provinces know that there is only one law applicable to any man or woman who comes uninvited to the king in the inner court. That person will be put to death, unless the king extends to him the, sep the gold scepter, permitting him to be spared. Now I have not been invited to come to the king for some thirty days. When Esther's reply was conveyed to Mordecai, he said to take back this answer to Esther. Don't imagine that because you are part of the king's household, you will be the one Jew who will escape. 
If you keep quiet at this time, liberation and protection for the Jews will appear from another source, while you and your father's household perish. It may very well be that you have achieved royal status for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast on my behalf. Don't eat and don't drink for three days, night or day. My female attendants and I will also fast in the same way. Afterward, I will go to the king, even though it violates the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai set out to do everything that Esther had instructed him. It so happened that on the third day, Esther put on her royal attire and stood in the inner court of the palace opposite the king's quarters. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the palace opposite the entrance. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she met with his approval. The king extended to Esther the gold scepter that was in his hand, and Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. The king said to her, What is on your mind, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even as much as half of the kingdom will be given to you. Esther replied, If the king is so inclined, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for the king. The king replied, Find Haman quickly, so that we can do as Esther requests. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. While at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your request? It shall be given to you. What is your petition? Ask for as much as half of the kingdom, and it shall be done. Esther responded, My request and my petition is this. If I have found favor in the king's sight, and if the king is inclined to grant my request and approve my petition, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet that I will prepare for them. At that time I will do as the king wishes. Now Haman went forth that day pleased and very much encouraged. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and he did not rise or tremble in his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. But Haman restrained himself and went on to his home. He then sent for his friends to join him along with his wife Suresh. Haman then recounted to them his fabulous wealth, his many sons, and how the king had magnified him and exalted him over the king's other officials and servants. Haman said, Furthermore, Queen Esther invited only me to accompany the king to the banquet that she prepared. And also, tomorrow, I am invited along with the king. Yet all this fails to satisfy me so long as I have, see, I have to see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Haman's wife, Suresh, and all the friends said to him, Have a gallows seventy-five feet high built, and in the morning tell the king that Mordecai should be hanged on it. Then go with the king to the banquet contented. It seemed like a good idea to Haman, so he had the gallows built. Throughout that night, the king was unable to sleep, so he asked for the book containing the historical records to be brought. As the records were being read in the king's presence, it was found written that Mordecai had disclosed that Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, had plotted to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king asked, What great honor was bestowed on Mordecai because of this? The king's attendants who served him responded, Not a thing was done for him. Then the king said, Who is that that is in the courtyard? Now Haman had come to the outer courtyard of the palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had constructed for him. The king's attendants said to him, It is Haman who is standing in the courtyard. The king said, Let him enter. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What should be done for the man whom the king wishes to honor? 
Haman thought to himself, Who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? So Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king wishes to honor, let them bring royal attire which the king himself has worn, and a horse on which the king himself has ridden, one bearing the royal insignia. Then let this clothing and his horse be given to one of the king's noble officials. Let him then clothe the man whom the king wishes to honor, and let him lead him throughout the plaza of the city on the horse, calling before him, So shall be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. The king said to Haman, Go quickly, take the clothing and the horse just as you have described, and do as you indicated to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Don't neglect a single thing of all that you have said. So Haman took the clothing and the horse, and he clothed Mordecai. He led him about on the horse throughout the plaza of the city, calling before him, So shall it be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. Then Mordecai again sat at the king's gate, while Haman hurried away to his home, mournful and with a veil over his head. Haman then related to his wife Sheresh, Suresh, and to all his friends everything that had happened to him. These wise men, along with his wife Suresh, said to him, If indeed this Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is Jewish, you will not prevail against him. No, you will surely fall before him. And while they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived. They quickly brought Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And that's where we're going to have to leave it for this episode. We'll have to come back again on the next episode to hear how the story continues. But it seems that the story is turning. And we'll have to see what happens next when Haman and the king go to Esther's banquet. And now we turn to the book of Revelation. As we turn to this book, uh, which is really now a set of letters that uh, Jesus is giving to the churches through his spirit to teach them and instruct them on how to face the times they are facing, most of which means they are facing persecution. And so as we go through this, we'll see what Jesus says to those facing these difficult times. Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the following. This is the solemn pronouncement of the one who has a firm grasp on the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works as well as your labor and steadfast endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have even put to the test those who refer to themselves as apostles but are not, and have discovered that they are false. I am also aware that you have persisted steadfastly, endured much for the sake of my name, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have departed from your first love. Therefore, remember from what high state you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That is, if you do not repent. But you do have this going for you. You hate what the Nicolaitans practice. Practices I also hate. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will permit him to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write the following. This is the solemn pronouncement of the one who is the first and the last, the one who was dead but came to life. I know the distress you are suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I also know the slander against you by those who call themselves Jews and really are not, 
but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of the things you are about to suffer. The devil is about to have some of you thrown into prison so that you may be tested, and you will experience suffering for ten days. Remain faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown that is life itself. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will in no way be harmed by the second death. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the following. This is the solemn pronouncement of the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you continue to cling to my name, and you have not denied your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed in your city where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some people there who follow the teaching of Balaam, who instructed Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. In the same way, there are also some among you who follow the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come against you quickly and make war against those people with the sword of my mouth. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone will be written a new name that no one can understand except the one who receives it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write the following. This is the solemn pronouncement of the Son of God, the one who has eyes like a fiery flame and whose feet are like polished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, faith, service, and steadfast endurance. In fact, your more recent deeds are greater than your earlier ones. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and by her teaching deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent, but she is not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I am throwing her onto a bed of violent illness and those who commit adultery with her into terrible suffering, unless they repent of her deeds. Furthermore, I will strike her followers with a deadly disease, and then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts. I will repay each one of you what your deeds deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, all who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned the so-called deep secrets of Satan, to you I say, I do not put any additional burden on you. However, hold on to what you have until I come. And to the one who conquers and who continues in my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and like clay jars he will break them to pieces. Just as I have received the right to rule from my father, and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so here's uh, part of Jesus' letters, the first number of them. We'll see next episode the rest of them in chapter 3. But the recurring refrain is to hear what the Spirit says, and basically what the Spirit says is what Jesus has told them to say, and that is over and over again to remain faithful, to trust in Jesus. And the reason we can do this is because Jesus is the first and the last, the great and truly amazing Savior of all, the one who gave his life to save those who trust in him. That Jesus is the one you can trust through the persecutions and through the bitter suffering that you face no matter where you are or what you're going through because 
he gives not only forgiveness of sins, but new life, eternal life in him that even physical death cannot take away because life in him is life eternal, life forever in his presence with him. Thanks for listening to the Bible in 260 podcast. May what you have heard speak to your heart and mind today. The scriptures quoted are from the Net Bible, http netbible.com, copyright 1996 2019, used with permission from Biblical Studies Press, LLC, all rights reserved. Our theme song for the podcast is The Call by Emily Ruth. You can find The Call and other music by Emily Ruth on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you find your music. You are-